Welcome to This Week in California Education, produced by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource. And I'm John Fensterwald, Editor-at-Large of EdSource. John, this was a big week in Sacramento. The legislature had to pass a bunch of bills. How did they do? Well, no matter what happens, you have all legislative session. It always comes down to the last day. And it was a big rush, and we'll talk about that. Okay, looking forward to that. But before we get there, the California State University, the 23 campuses of the system, are dealing with a big issue, and that is how to get students through the remedial courses, often called developmental courses, to get them through the maze so they can actually pass the courses they need to graduate. That's right. And so Chancellor Timothy White issued two executive orders last month basically introducing some pretty significant changes. One was to eliminate the requirement or the prerequisite that students pass intermediate algebra in order to take a certain math courses that they need to graduate. That's right. And then they also eliminated the placement exam that students take when they're freshmen to come in and see what they're eligible for. And at the same time, they've eliminated remedial math courses and would put students directly into college-level courses. That's a huge change. This week, the Academic Senate, representing the faculty at CSU, basically told the chancellor's office not so fast. They feel that the chancellor is moving precipitously to introduce these reforms. And so we actually talked with Catherine Stevenson. She's a professor of math at Cal State Northridge. She's also director of the developmental math program. That's the one that involves a lot of these remedial courses and has been very involved in the process. And we asked her about what her concerns were and by extension of many other faculty at CSU. I'm not concerned about their push to do away with intermediate algebra. My concern is over the repeal without a replacement. I invested quite a bit of time on a task force that uh, recommended removing intermediate algebra as the universal requirement for all students and replacing it with one that was a more nuanced uh, investigation of what are the basic skills that somebody coming into the CSU would need to have facility with in order to make the most of the opportunity that the California State University system has to offer. And so I'm anxious that the intermediate algebra level has been taken away without any replacement that would give us guidance as to what a college-ready student would look like and what skills we should build upon as we educate that student in the bachelor's degree. Is your concern that these courses aren't in place or, or not quite sure what courses to offer, you know, such as statistics or game theory have been suggested? Um, is it the speed with which we're moving ahead or is it exactly to know what to replace it with? I think the CSU has done an outstanding job already of tailoring the general education quantitative reasoning classes towards a student's careers, interests, or major. Where the concern comes in is the preparation of the students for those courses. The larger issue is that this requirement appears to have been a major stumbling block for large numbers of students. And so CSU is trying to figure out a way and 
as the administration says, not to dumb down the standards, but for a way for students to get through this without this requirement getting really getting in the way for, of students actually graduate. I am not against the idea of rethinking the intermediate algebra requirement because it has traditionally been a stumbling block, not so much for uh, the, the California State University system students, more often for the California Community College students who are our transfer students. So there was a real and significant problem that needed to be addressed, and that is precisely why we had a task force on quantitative reasoning which made a recommendation to eliminate the intermediate algebra requirement for everybody, but to replace it with something that would give a student a reasonable access to the opportunity afforded by the CSU. Professor Stevenson, you appear to have gotten some support from the faculty senate that's backing you on this issue. What are you expecting now? What do you want the the chancellor's office to do, to withdraw the executive order Do you want the Board of Trustees to weigh in on this? What's your hope? My hope is that the process will conclude in the faculty voice being heard by the Chancellor's Office. The Chancellor's Office right now has several new members who are new to the CSU system and perhaps know less about the programs that we've been running. And I'm hoping that now that they've heard the faculty voice, they will go back and revise their executive orders or give us more time and allow us to participate in developing guiding principles that we can expect of our programs to help our students thrive in the university. In some of the coverage and the remarks I've heard, uh, there is this sort of suggestion that this is the old guard at CSU that's sort of resisting these inevitable changes. I don't know if you've heard that or or how you respond to that. That's interesting. As the co-chair of the Quantitative Reasoning Task Force, I had the honor of being called both the old guard and the avant guard. And so that made me feel comfortable that I must be doing exactly the right thing. I prefer to serve the students. I have 10 years of experience of working with developmental math students and developing programs that are innovative, that are looking for efficient pathways to help students succeed. We have done that in our non-STEM, non-business. We're interested in doing that in STEM and business. I am not interested in maintaining the old guard, but I am interested in making sure that the students who I know well are served well. That was Catherine Stevenson, a professor of math at Cal State Northridge and part of the avant-garde faculty at CSU. So, John, what is next now that the Academic Senate representing the faculty have drawn a line in the sand on this issue? Yes, well, Chancellor Timothy White said he would talk with the faculty. He, would, he said it's, his, his resolutions weren't hasty, but he would talk with the faculty, that he has been talking with them all along. And it's possible that the trustees will bring this issue up at their November meeting. Is this typically something that the trustees would get involved in or even want to get involved in into a battle between the administration and the faculty? Well, it is not. Generally, they don't like to get involved in issues between the faculty and and the administration. But so it's really a question of how much they will discuss it and express their concern. Okay. Big issue. We'll be tracking this going forward. Moving on, I'm almost afraid to 
ask you about this, John, because every year the legislature discusses and passes hundreds of bills. So what are some of the bills affecting education? Well, the sanctuary bill was probably the biggest, and it has... Or at least got the most attention. It certainly did, and, and it will get attention perhaps from the Trump administration as well. And it has a minor peripheral effect on schools, but uh, uh, that was a bigot bill, perhaps. Be- because the sanctuary bill deals mostly with criminal detainers and whether ICE uh, can interview detainees and at what point. Yeah, and it has the effect with perhaps what federal agents or when they are allowed on school property, do they have to seek a court order and, and that kind of issue. So that passed. Yes, it did. Uh, anything else passed that we should be aware of? Well, there, we've talked about this before. There's a cap on reserves that schools can keep on their budgets. That's been low. The financial reserves. That the they financial reserves, their budget reserves. And there's finally, after three years of discussion, a compromise, school districts can keep a larger reserve in their budgets. And that's a compromise that works and people are happy with it. And what happened with the bill to establish a state-run school with a science, math, technology, engineering curriculum. Yeah, that bill, the sponsors kept on looking for votes in the Senate and apparently couldn't find enough. So it never was brought to a vote and it will come back next year. And so will the bill to establish a later school start for middle school and high schools. That was another bill that got actually a lot of national attention. Huge attention. And just again, what was the issue there that Schools shouldn't start before 8.30. That's right. Which is most schools don't start before 8.30. Isn't that the case? Well, many don't, but then it depends how you define the start of school. Many schools start with, quote, a period zero, which is much earlier than than 8.30, sometimes 7. So the issue was science says it's really good for teenagers to start school late because of their sleep cycles. But then this whole issue of local control, that's what we're, the era that we're under. Shouldn't districts decide for themselves and so, you know, it was never decided and it will come back next year. What else passed that you think would be of interest to folks out there? Well, there's a bill that passed that dealt with meal shaming. What is meal shaming? Meal shaming is when students are sort of punished or held hostage for the debts of their parents. Their parents are behind in paying for their meals. And then after a while, schools, many schools, it's hard to know which ones were, would give them milk and a snack instead of a fully nutritious meal. This only applied to those students who either's incomes were higher than made them eligible for the federal school lunch program, or maybe their parents didn't sign up. That's one of the goals of the bill is to have districts really reach out and sign up as many students as they can. One of the districts that had a policy of providing fully nutritious meals to all students, even those who were didn't qualify for federal lunch program and were behind in their debts, was Oakland. And our producer, Sarah Tan, went out to Oakland to talk with some students and... What did you find, Sarah? I went to La Escuelita, which is an elementary school right below Lake Merritt in Oakland. And I was able to speak with a number of second graders who were actually having lunch that day about why lunch was important to them. Okay, and what are you guys doing right now? Eating lunch. What do you have for lunch today? We have beans, rice, and cheese. Okay, and why, why is it important that you get to eat lunch? So I make us strong so we can play. Oakland has had an aggressive plan to make sure all students get lunch since so many of their students already qualify for free lunch. At La Escuelita, about 80% of the population are free and reduced lunch. 
So they've just gone ahead and given all of them lunch, regardless of whether they've paid or not or what program they're in. So I talked with Jennifer Labar. She's the executive director for nutrition services at Oakland Unified. And she said they've had this policy in place because it's the right thing to do. In Oakland Unified, we adopted a policy um, well over six years ago that we were going to feed every child regardless of their ability to pay. And so what that means is every paid or reduced price student who doesn't qualify for free meals is going to receive a complete, nutritious, balanced meal, even if they're unable to pay. We do ask that they try to make the payment, but if they're unable to, the district's general fund is covering that costs. And we... We've done that just because it's the right thing to do. Quite frankly, our students, so many of them rely on the meals that are served at school for nutrition. Also, sometimes parents forget, get busy, and we don't want to penalize the child or affect their health and their ability to learn in the classroom. We all know that we need to have a healthy diet and be fed in order to be able to concentrate on just the work that we do, let alone when you're a five-year-old student. So we just want to make sure that they're prepared for learning by giving them that nutritious meal. Well, thanks, Sarah, for your report. In case you're wondering how Oakland was able to pay for this program, they got permission from the federal government because they have so many students who do qualify for a school lunch program to serve all students in about 73 of its schools in its district. That goes beyond what this bill called for and sets a good example for other districts as well. Before we wrap it up this week, I do have to ask you, where do we stand with the smarter balanced test scores, the statewide averages that the state was supposed to release? Those are the common core aligned tests in math and English. Usually it would have been out by now. Yeah, I guess I can give you the same answer I gave last week. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> give us an idea. Is it next week, the following week, or we really don't know at this we point? We don't know whether it's now, next week, or early October. The state is not said. And the delay is because there have been some technical issues with the data. Is that correct? That's right. That was what they said three weeks ago. Okay. And I'm actually writing a piece right now as to why we should even care about these tests, given that schools already have them parents already have them. Why are these statewide scores important? I look forward to the article, but don't give the state a reason to delay it further. And that definitely wraps it up for this week in California Education. If you like what you've heard, please help others find us by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Our producer is Sarah Tan. See you next week.